those horsemen and chariots, and the horsemen went after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of the fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. He made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against us. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to normal at the state of daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day, and the hand of the Egyptians, Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When the Israel saw the great power of the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Father, I, uh, I pray that your grace would be with us today and that we would be open to what it is that you have for us to teach. Lord, make no mistake, we are hemmed in, surrounded by a world that continually hates us and does everything it can to be stumbling blocks to us, Lord. I pray for those that are worried about standing up for what's right, losing their job, their family members. Lord, that you would be with us and strengthen us today and give them the courage through this passage, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for bearing with that. I know it was a long chapter. My knees are starting to wiggle. Will, ugh wobble a little bit. So I'm not good at a lot of things. I don't have a lot of talent. I'm not naturally someone that you see at a crowd or a party you're going to naturally gravitate to. Now before you think I'm here to beat up myself, whoa, calm down. I'm not here for a pity party. I, uh, I, I'm content with who I am. The Lord has taught me a lot. My point being is, is any time I've ever thought I was good at something, the Lord showed me I was not. I've had a whole life of humbling, um, start from medical conditions and so forth. In fact, my only claim to fame was I had a good smile. I had perfect teeth. I'd always joke with my wife, and that came to an end pretty quickly as I had a flashlight in my mouth one time, and I punched myself, so I lost that. As of yesterday, I would have told you that I never burned because, you know, I have dark skin, and yesterday I got burned. Whoa, I can't even stand up and not knock a pulpit over. See, the, the losing continues. I, uh, one of the things I was most prideful about was my sense of direction. I could go out into the woods, often take people. I do a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing. I can never, ever get 
turned around. I was always so prideful about that until, guess what? I got lost. And, you know, we were duck hunting. It was foggy. If you know the river, you've been in New Mexico, you know that there's two ditches, and you know there's one river that runs, and that basically goes all the way down past Bland and so forth and so forth. And you head towards the river. It was so foggy. I was taking the path I always take, and we kept walking. It kept taking longer than usual. I kept looking at my watch, and all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm back to where I started. I panicked so much. That has never happened to me. I've never been lost like that. In fact, if some sort of common sense didn't come back to me, I would have kept going the wrong way because I was so sure I was right. Had to wait till the sun came up, burned some of the fog, and sure enough, we went completely opposite in the direction we tend, tended to take. That's where we pick up the story today. Seems absolutely, utterly crazy what's going on here. In fact, you know, as time goes on, um, what's getting better? GPS systems, right? And they are fantastic when they work right. They get you right where you need to go. Um, you don't have to look at a map. You don't have to write down directions. You, pump, you put in an address and you're right there. Pretty, pretty fantastic, right? Um, I read that UPS and FedEx and other delivery companies don't even use the same ones we do. They pay billions of dollars more because apparently Google and other navigation systems are not accurate. So great when systems go wrong, find ourselves in big trouble. I read a story this week about uh, dad and his daughter on a trip. They were in a car and how fitting for this passage today, but they ended up in a graveyard instead of returning to their, uh, where they were supposed to drop off the car, of all places, a graveyard. And he, in quotes, he says, well, we had a nice lunch at a graveyard. That being said, having the wrong navigation system has consequences, not just on the physical, right? You end up somewhere in the desert, you don't have any water, your navigation system tells you you're supposed to go someplace and you don't. Um, you can find yourself in real trouble in the physical, either starving, needing medical attention, or even dying, right? But we don't talk too much about the spiritual direction. I mean, are you guys watching the news? Are you reading what's out there? There's some crazy stuff. I mentioned the painstaking study that we go through to make sure it's right. I had a conversation with someone I went to Bible school with years ago when I was learning how to preach, and he tells me that Jesus would accept all people, and rightly so if they come to him right, and that he would go around pronouncing people's pronouns however they wanted. Some of you are chuckling, and, and, and I real quickly quoted Matthew 19. I said, uh, I'm sorry, but have you not read, he who made them in the beginning made them what? Male and female. So why do we get up and preach? Why, why, why this sense of direction? Why is it important where we're going? Because beliefs have consequences. We're going to clearly see that in this passage. In fact, um, we're going to pick the story up with GPS. Now, I know what it really stands for, but I'm going to change it and say we pick it up with God's positioning system because that's what we have going on here. 
as odd as it looks, God is directing the step of the Israelites. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel, turn back and camp before Piahiroth, between Magdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal-Saphon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say, The sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land and the wilderness. So I had to talk on this so you, so you understand what is going on here. Why is this so crazy? I'm not much of a military guy. I, I've tried to join the military. I didn't have the health for it. I've read enough books on military campaigns to know that you do not put you or yourself, your army, in an unescapable place. You always take the high ground. You always position yourself so you have the advantage in battle. So that you really understand, and, and there's a lot of debate where the Israelites cross the Red Sea. I'm not going to get into that today. I think Frank and I are the only ones that would care about that anyway. So, sorry, Frank, you're going to get made fun of a lot today. What you really need to understand is, first, they're going along the Red Sea, and there's mountains all along, so they're trapped against the Red Sea. We know that Pharaoh has towers. Magdal is a tower that they would have had on their borders to protect against invasions, against the Philistines. You guys ever heard of them, people? Yeah. So Pharaoh, either by pigeon, some scholars believe he would have been updated at their movement often, either by chariot or, or, or pigeon. Pharaoh would have seen it as them being lost, them being trapped in a canyon, and nowhere else to go. What are we seeing here? We're seeing God's sovereignty and province. For those of you that don't know the difference, I'm going to quote John Piper on one of them. Uh, God's sovereignty is his right to do anything he wills. That's John Piper. I would quote his uh, providence, but I didn't understand it. So after reading the definition, providence is whatever variable God, variables God uses to accomplish his will. Does that make sense? All right, I got one person shaking their head. We'll go with it. So what's God's will? He's going to be honored. What's the providence? God's going to use the Egyptian people, the army, to do so. So the setup works. And how often I must laugh at myself, laugh at, laugh at so many plans that we have, so what we think, we know. We all have it figured out, right? We're going to go to our job. We're going to pay our bills. We're going to see our kids go to college until we don't. Till something major happens, till we end up on a path where we're like, Lord, what are you doing here? This is not my 20-year plan. How many times have I said that? And the whole time reading this passage, I, 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 I literally saw how many times God told Moses what he was going to do, 
And then there's this shock, like, oh, wait, he actually did it. Even back in Genesis 15, what did he tell Abraham? He told him, your people are good, your descendants are going to be entrapped for 400 years. I will deliver them. As recently as Exodus, I went through looking, and it was almost every chapter, uh, Exodus 3, 4, 6, 7, and 14, God tells him what he's going to do. And guess what? He does it. You all know the verse, Romans 8, 28. For God works all things together for what? Come on, you know this one. Yeah, right? Works all things together for good for those that love him according to his what? His purpose. And I don't want to sound callous because I know a lot of us are suffering. There are some unusual things going on. There are some viruses, and I can go on. I, I don't. You guys watch the news. You probably know more about it than I do. But this, make sure my microphone's working as I remind you that this is not a surprise to God. You know, I, I wake up every day and I say to myself, what craziness, what new law are they going to pass that I have to follow? And I get all indignant and upset and the lack of common sense and, and logic is just bewildering. And yet the Lord told us this was going to happen, right? He said they're going to turn you over to the leaders thinking they're doing God's work. That's how crazy it's going to get. We act like Jesus didn't deal with some of this nonsense. Remember when they asked him and they said, you cast out demons by the devil, by Beelzebub? Remember that? Think about the logic he pointed out in that. Okay, well, that's great. You think the devil goes around casting the devil by himself so that he can't stand? Let's jump into the... One last thing I'll say on that before I move on. Folks, we are Christians. We believe what's in this word. And all the way from the beginning, Genesis 3, Jesus predicts redemption and a savior. Every single book of the Bible, I wish I had time to go through each one of them, and show you the prediction, First Test or the Old Testament revealing Christ, the New Testament satisfying the Old Testament through Christ. I, I don't know what's going to happen in your situation. I wouldn't be so naive as to guess I could. Even the wisest men can get it wrong. But here's what I can tell you. Fear, Christian and you've put your faith in Jesus, you will be at that wedding feast, and it will all be worth it. So let's look at this matchup here. I've titled it Outmatched, and for the reasons I just explained, right? First of all, we know Israel's trapped. We know they went out boldly. We know that they're confident as all can be, if I were a commentator, I would say something like this. Well, what do we have here, Bob? We have uh, round 11, and uh, this time I think it's going to be different because we have the most powerful army in the world, 
Yes, they got whooped ten times, and yes, all their gods were made fun of, but look at their army. They are really advancing, and look how scared the Israelites are. We know they're scared. Why? Because look at their sarcastic, bitter response. Right? What do they say? Then they said to Moses, Is it because there was not enough graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They have dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For I would, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and die in the wilderness? Do you know what they just said there? Let's go back to bondage. Let's go back to certain death. It's not, it's amazing the responses when we're out of pressure, when we're under pressure, right? And look what they do to Moses. Hey, look at the, look at the response. I, you know, it's always amazing to me to watch. You can tell a mature Christian, you can tell a non-Christian, you can tell a young Christian, and you want to know how someone's going to react, just put them under a little pressure. I can't imagine how many of God's people, their ministers, have gotten their heads bitten off because somebody doesn't like where God has them because they're feeling the pressure? Here Moses is trying to be a mediator. And make no mistake, this is a bitter sarcasm. This is a comment with teeth. Now, if I may be so bold, I'm going to plead with the younger generation, and then I'm going to let the older generation have it. No, I'm just kidding. I'll plead with the older generation. When I think to this bitterness and I think to this response, I cannot help but to think of Luke 9.62. Jesus says, he who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me break that down real quick for you that aren't in the habit of running plows in your backyard. You would have either two oxen or two people pulling a plow. And the idea was to make straight lines so you can plant. And guess what would happen if you were looking back the whole time? Your lines ain't going to be straight, are they? It's uh, like when my teenage son drives, it makes me nervous as all can be. I just want him to drive a straight line, man. Don't touch the radio. Don't get distracted. Don't look back. It has consequences. Here's what I'm going to say to you younger folks, and everyone's looking at the first two rows because that's where all the Melizzo kids sit. <laughs> There's some younger ones there. Here's what I'm going to plead with you on. When things don't look your way, Plow forward, go straight, follow the Lord straight. We're not naive. We know the pressures. There was a once upon a time when I would say every generation has had its difficulties, but no, you guys are living through something else. You really are. There's always been sin. There's always been corruption. There's always been some things that we wouldn't speak of, but we have lost our way so much so that you can choose whatever gender you want to be, 
You can believe whatever your truth is. And the sad thing is no one will tell you, hey, if you think you're a bird and you fly off that building, you might hurt yourself. We've, we won't even tell someone the truth to save their life. It's all about appeasement. You have these beer commercials with these folks saying, stick it to the man. Go out, be a real rebellious. Let me tell you something. You want to be a real rebel, you young folks? Follow Jesus. Let me tell you, how many of you would have been mocked if you said, oh, I, I, I can't go out to that party because David Sanchez is teaching. I can't wait to hear. Okay, let's replace that. I can't, Frank's teaching. I can't wait to hear Frank teach or Brian or someone. Let's be realistic here. You know what I'm saying? Or how about when somebody asks you to spread a rumor like so many young kids do and you say, no, I can't. Why? Because I will not speak against my Savior and I will not hurt someone because my Lord has called me to do differently. Oh, you're boring. Go have as much sex and drugs as you want. No, I'm sorry. I'm not. That's being a real rebel. Wearing modest clothes, standing up for what's right. I don't plead with you fathers, you older gentlemen who have been around the block and have seen it all. This idea of retirement is a fairly new idea. Many of us uh, save for our retirement, hope for the best, but I got to tell you, many scholars believe Moses started this ministry at 80 years old. You looking back and you say, I'm too old. Look at these young people around here. They need your wisdom. Your older males, we, we need you to disciple. We don't do enough for that. The craziness that they're going through, we need to help point the young generation back to the scriptures, back to the God's positioning system. We need that from you. You have so much wisdom telling the young man, young man, don't buy that new car and go out with your friends. Save the money for your, your family, your children. Go home and love your wife. But my friends want to, and I got to do this, and I got to buy this, and, and I got to move up the corporate ladder. Son, your children won't remember how well you did at work, but you know what they'll remember? The times you sat and taught them scripture. Older women, there's a reason why Paul tells the older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and family. And if you older women are hearing me talk, you already know the reason why. Because it's difficult. <laughs> I come home and my wife has cleaned the bedroom I throw my dirty clothes on the hamper. I don't know what, or not on the hamper. I wish you'd be happy with that. I throw my dirty clothes on the floor. I don't put things back. I don't know why I do that. And, and I get in such an introvert mode, and I don't bother to ask how my wife's day is going, and I want to go home and watch football, and I don't want to be bothered. There's an art to it. You see, the saddest thing is the world has mixed this whole submissive thing, and I wish I had all day to teach on what submissiveness really means. And what they've taken it and they've corrupted it, 
and older women know. My wife likes to quote the big fat Greek wedding where she says, the husband may be the head, but I'm the neck and I turn it any which way I want. <laughs> There's an art to loving your husband. Older women, can I get an amen? amen? It's not easy. These younger women need to hear from you. My God, they're being bombarded with nonsense, with you gotta look a certain way. They're, they're being pressured to look like women that don't even exist, that have been touched up thousands of times. They're being told not to, modesty is lame. You guys wanna be exciting? You wanna feel something exciting? Follow the Lord. Some of the saddest times I've had in my life is coming back from a missions trip because I've seen such amazing things that God has done and I do not have the capability to put into words what God did over that missions trip. I don't. It is so sad. I want everybody to understand the things that I saw God do. We're going to see that the Israelites walk through an ocean and you will see maybe not this miracle, but you will see the same you will see God's power in ways. There's no such thing as a lame Christian. If you're following the Lord, ask Frank if his life is boring. It's not. Ask any of the elders if they bored with their lives following Christ. All right, I, I think I've, we better get no clock. I can't even see the clock. How are we doing on time, Frank? Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's the games begin. All right, I plan to talk a lot about the game beginning, but I think, all right, I have to back up. Sorry, I got to put something in there. So the two parts, let's, let's talk about the reaction, right? We have the Egypt, we have the Hebrews, the Israelites, really scared, reacting bitter, right? Then we have Moses, and I, I, you could almost separate it, but I'm going to keep it together to the two passages where Moses said to them, to the people, do not fear, stand by, see the salvation of the Lord, which will um, accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And he tells him to lift his hand, and we know the sea parts. I read that together instead of separately because it would be easy for me to say Moses acted awesome at first, and then the God, God rebukes him. I do not think personally that's what's going on here. I don't think we have a contradiction or an opposite in behavior. Um, if I had another time to present a sermon, I would probably teach one on 13. What a valuable lesson it is when we're in the face of danger, right? Be quiet, stand by, stand still, hold your peace in the Hebrew. Be quiet, see what the Lord will do. How many times have we rushed to do something, to fix something aimlessly, get everything done when what we should have done was be quiet? Stand still. Let the Lord's salvation. But there is an end to that, you know. I will never begrudge someone that prays. 
continuously. Lord, I do it all the time. But I also think it needs to be in balance with what the Lord said, move. You see, there's so many folks that I know that are so scared to get up in the morning and go to work because they're sitting there waiting on God's direction. Lord, should I have coffee this morning? Lord, Lord, should I uh, start the car? Well, you better do something. Reminds me of a, a funny story I heard about a man who was in a flood and they come by his house and said, the rainstorms are going to be really bad. You better evacuate. You're in a low area. And the guy says, no, I'm going to wait for God to save me. Rains continue. They get about three feet high. The guy's in the second floor. And a boat comes by and says, hey, this may be your last chance to get out of here. The guy says, nope, I'm waiting on the Lord. He's going to save me. I know he is. He's going to save me. And the boat goes. Finally, the guy's on top of the roof. A helicopter comes by, and, and they're shouting down to him and says, hey, we can send you a ladder. We can save you. And he says, nope, I'm waiting on God. Thank you. Bye. The guy drowns, gets to heaven, and he says, so indignant to the Lord, he says, why didn't you save me? And he's like, what are you talking about? I sent three people. It's a time to move. And this was that time. I do not think the Lord was rebuking Moses. I think at this time, Lord knows Moses was pretty flaky in his faith, was he not? We know this from the previous chapters. I think this was Moses as a representation of the people. Why are the people crying? Move on. And that's where most scholars fall. Um, that's where I fall reading the passage. I'll let you chew that one over lunch. All right. We're going to real quickly go through my third point and then get to God's salvation. Let the games begin. As I mentioned earlier, there is a lot of debate where the crossing actually happened. Now, just to be fair, the sea in Hebrew could be translated as the reed sea. So some scholars believe that the crossing happened near Goshen by the bitter lakes where there is a lot of reeds. The word can be. Most of the time, when it is translated, it is the Red Sea. As far as where it is, you know, every so often you hear someone coming along, some preacher, or maybe some scientist comes along and tries to explain away the miracle of God. I don't have a lot of the answers. There's an interesting word here about the sides of the walls of the water where we read it in the English as water built up on the side and it says as walls. But in the Hebrew, it represents a well-constructed wall. Um, why is that going to be important? Brian, remind me before I leave today why that word is important. We'll close with that. But the point being is, is you know, I don't know. Did the Lord drown him in the Red Sea where there's tons of water? Or did he drown him in three feet of water in the Reed Sea? I don't know the answer for you, but I say praise God either way. And I'm not going to sit here and explain this miracle. Because to me, if God created the heavens and earth, 
whether he drowns them in three feet of water or he drowns them in the Red Sea under tons and tons of water, I don't know. I have my opinion. I believe it was the near the Suez Canal and it was deep water and I believe that's where it was. Scholars, I'll let you guys do research on that. But that's really what we need to know about this section. We know that God moves pillar behind. He's leading them this whole way. We know from Psalms 105 that God is providing shade in the desert at night. We are during the day. We know he's providing light at night. We know that God comes between the Egyptians and the Israelites all when everything seems lost and he stops them so folks could cross. And you know the rest of the story, the Israelites cross, scholars believe it must have been a half mile wide, that would have been adequate space for them to walk by overnight. The wind would have dried out the land so that way they could walk hard land. But you know, the Lord looks down and just like he said, he allows the Egyptian army to go through and he crashes the waves down on him and destroys. And the passage ends with, when the Israelites saw the power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You know, I, I, I wish the story ended there. But I have to ask two questions. First question for you theological buffs. Whose faith did God save the Israelites? Whose faith? Second question I have for you. What is the difference between the Egyptians and the Hebrews? What is the difference? Are we naive enough to think that we're any better than them? What is a, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? If you don't think any one of us could have replaced Pharaoh and with our arrogance tried to go against the Lord, I would have to say there's a problem there because we know we're sinners. Was John Wright in his letter, if you say you have no sin, what? Make, you're lying. So what is the difference? Is it racking your brain? Because it did mine. Why? Why destroy the Israelites? Well, one, we know God chose to honor himself that way. But I submit to you the difference is a mediator. We'll let that settle in a minute. A mediator. Who's our mediator? If Moses was a foreshadowing of Christ, Christ is our mediator, right? So I plead and I beg with you, not think for one minute as we all get prone and sucked into that any kind of works or any kind of self-defining justice we can come up with will be good enough for God. Do you see that he saved the Israelites on no account of their own? He led them into a trap just so he could show his power 
It's the way it works, right? Christ died for us. We didn't do anything. In fact, all his disciples scattered when they arrested him. I am reminded, and I've always been fascinated by John chapter 8. And, of course, you know, it starts off, I am the light of the world. He who follows me or who believes in me will not walk in darkness. But that's not where the passage ends. It ends with an argument, with a discussion between God, between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he tells them, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's always boggled my mind, their response. Do you, any of you remember what they said? We've never been enslaved to anyone. You see, Frank mentioned redemption today in his, in his announcements. It's really what this passage is about. You see, it would be easy for me to sit up here and say, what is your Red Sea of life? I don't think we would miss, and, and to extent we did go over some of that, but I think we missed the biggest picture. What are we really talking about in this passage? We're talking about redemption from bondage. So the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus, and they say, you've never been a slave to anyone. I don't know if they forgot what they celebrate Passover for. I don't know if they forgot that they were under Roman law, uh, basically slaves of Rome. I don't know why they would respond. It's always boggled my mind. But Jesus goes on in John chapter 8, and he says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and you are a slave to sin. That's what we are, folks. That is what we fight tooth and nail for as Christians. That is why we get back into being legalistic. That is why we get around to showboating. That is why we put more pressure on ourselves and think that we're something, and in the end, we didn't do anything. We still don't today. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Now, it would be remiss for me not to make a big, all exciting statement about the building of the water that looked like brick walls and not finish with that. And one thing I will tell you, crossing through the Red Sea, it reminds me of Matthew 7.13. And the reason it does is because that's the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing, the first, very first words uttered out of Jesus' mouth is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of people have taken that passage to mean the poor and has nothing to do with your financial status. You know what that passage has to do with? I see Brian shaking his head so he knows. But that passage has to be with being so spiritually broken, you are crying out for a savior. You're so disgusted of your sin that you cry out for a savior. And you cry out and you reach to others. Make no mistake, Matthew 7, 13, when Jesus said, I, when he said there are two ways, one narrow, one wide, we make the mistake of reading the narrow way and saying, oops, if I go through 
the narrow way I'm gonna fall off, but that's not the idea of the passage. It's actually three Greek words combined and to shorten it up with all, all the nerding out here, what it basically means is you're stuck in a rut in a tube that you cannot get out of and every time you've got is pushing you back in the right way. So what is the point of all this? The point is this. If you are not that spiritual bag, beggar, you're not big, begging Christ, you're not begging for his wisdom, for his salvation, for his knowledge, then your only other way is the broad way, and that's the way the Egyptians took. It's the only way that will fit your extra baggage, your arrogance, your religious systems. Young folks, I talked about being a rebel. Well, let me tell you something. Matthew 7, 13, when he talks about the narrow way and the wide way, he got in the ring with every single religion, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, he couldn't have made it any clearer than that. And that's what we spiritually beg for. That's why we're discerned, and that's why we need a savior. All right, let's pray. I think I've said enough today. Lord, I thank you that you use us in spite of our sin. Um, Lord, I my heart breaks knowing that there may be some in here that have come for weeks, may have come from other churches, and maybe at some point justified and said, I'm a good person. We're not. We're lost without you, Father. We hurt so bad, and now in a world where we need folks, Lord, to share the truth, we need to lay our lives down. Lord, give us the courage. Lord, we're so scared. And how could we not be just like the Israelites were back then? We stumble and we give us the strength we don't have, Lord. Thank you for making yourself known through the book of Exodus. Lord, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for calling us to be your children. How we long for the redemption of us and this earth to be under your leadership. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.